And welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. This week on our panel, we have Caleb Fornari. Hey, everyone. Jeffrey Groman. Hey, Chuck. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're talking to Mason McLeod. And Mason, you want to introduce yourself and then we'll just dive in and, and talk about this stuff? Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me on, first of all. My name is Mason. I'm the CTO at software.com. And yes, that's our actual domain of software.com. Wow. And, and no, I can't tell how we got it. That's, <laughs> that's always the first question. Yeah, so I've been there for over a year and we're, we build developer tools for tracking time and looking at efficiency and being able to give you insights into your day-to-day at work so that you can work more efficiently and, and continually improve as an individual and, and as a team as well. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. Yeah, Caleb was telling us that you kind of blew his mind on the whole efficiency thing. And I think in a lot of ways, this is some place that a lot of people go to when they're trying to level up. And at the same time, other teams don't pay any attention to it at all, right? All they care about is is the work getting done fast enough. So yeah, I, I'm trying to decide where we should start. But I think I think Caleb had a bunch of takeaways that are probably good places to start. And then we can kind of dive into what we should care about, why should we should care about it, and how we can impact things and stuff like that. So Caleb, why don't you get us rolling as far as what you think the big... I'm, I'm curious what you think the biggest win is from your discussion with with Mason going into this. Yeah, I think the the thing that really stood out to me was the idea of kind of quantifying productive environments and the things that go into making a productive environment for developers. You know, it's it's not really productive to measure like lines of code, for example, or, you know, time spent in certain things and, and things like that just by themselves. I think there's a lot of context around a lot of those. You know, I, I've uh, heard the joke before from, you know, clients and things like that, that like lines of code removed is sometimes a better, you know, indicator of productivity than lines of code added. So there's these simplistic measures that are used a lot that uh, really don't tell you the, the whole story around what creates a productive environment, how are developers actually productive. And one of the things that I spoke with Mason briefly about before was the different modes and, you know, how those kind of tie into productivity. So maybe we can start there, Mason, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about the different kinds of modes you see that developers are in, the time they spend in those, and the most productive developers, like how they optimize for spending more time in productive modes versus unproductive modes. Yeah, sure. So the different modes that we see, we've got two main sort of basic measures of when 
what time people are spending. We've got what we call code time, which is when you're in the editor, you're looking at code, you're reading, you're researching, mm-hmm. not necessarily editing or typing. And then active code time. That's when you're, as the name would imply, actively inter- interacting with the code. You're making an impact in some way. You're deleting, you're typing, you're copy-pasting, you know, pulling in answers from Stack Overflow, whatever it is you're doing at that moment. But you're those are the kind of the two main phases. And then once we get into what we can see inside of active code time between the keystrokes, copy pastes, the deletions, the additions of lines and reduction, new files, all those sorts of, all the little bits and pieces that go into writing code, we can actually use a, an, an algorithm that's using primary component analysis to figure out amongst all those inputs what actually means productivity for the most amount of people. Because everyone has a slightly different style. If you use a lot of autocompletes, keystrokes is not a good thing because you'll be 40% less than someone who doesn't use a bunch of autocompletes. And we can actually see when people start to kind of go up this ramp of productivity. And they typically go from code time, they open it up, they read, they do research, they kind of get the mental model going. They go into active code time. They start editing and, and moving things around. And then as their, their session progresses and it's not interrupted, then they're able to get into this higher productive state by kind of going up this ramp that we see. And it, it's actually, it's very much like a hill shape whenever you map this out. And you can see kind of dips in it when they switch either to a new task or they get an interruption and then they can kind of gradually come back into it and and keep those heightened states of productivity one of the things that that you brought up caleb about all the independent measures not really meaning much in isolation i think that's very very true like lines of code means nothing really by itself it's when it's in context of everything else that's happening in the system, and especially once you look at it in terms of what's the the overall inputs and outputs of the development system, and at an individual level, and also at a team level, once you start looking at, you know, as a company that makes software, as a, a company that relies on internal software, what is the overall rate at which there's changes to that software? And uh, I mean, that's just the way that we deliver products. So being able to measure that and see what's going into it is a really interesting thing to look at. And you can get a lot of insights out of that. Would you call that, um, you know, kind of velocity as far as looking at the total sort of changes in the entire uh, environment holistically? Is that is that kind of velocity or is there a different different word or way you would describe that as a, as a measure or as a whole? Yeah, I think there's a common term for it that you'll see like cycle time or lead time. And those typically measure, you know, pull requests. It's kind of a, a pretty well accepted abstracted chunk of work that goes through a process to be in development, to being in deployed. What we actually are able to look at is what are the behaviors before it gets into a Git workflow and what is the time inside of that and then continuing on that affects that. So we have a a higher sort of larger viewpoint on it that we just call production throughput. So it's kind of, you know, looking back at a physical factory sort of metaphor where you have raw materials coming in and you've got, you know, 
things coming out the other end. Software development typically is not repetitive. It's a creative endeavor. So there's differences, absolutely. And that's something you have to be very careful about and not treat you know software developers as widget makers because that's not actually what we do. And uh, but you know the metaphor still holds in a lot of ways when you take that abstracted view and you see okay what's the input that it took to get this output and then you can get the actual sort of classical measurement of what efficiency is which is you know how many how much input was required for your output excellent talking nuts and bolts i guess is there like a top do you have like a top 3 maybe things that individuals and teams uh, that are productive or that you see as like high productivity? Are there things that they do that stand out? And then conversely, maybe are there things that teams that you see that are less productive do that people should be looking to avoid? Yeah. So number one thing that I've seen in our data across, we've got global users and all that stuff. So it kind of gets normalized around that is disruptions. So especially during the prime work days, which are sorry, work hours during the day, which as we've seen in our global data is from three to five is the prime time that developers typically get most of their time in. There's another kind of big bump between nine and 11. And mm -hmm. so it's a bit before lunch and a bit after lunch, typically. Those are also really prime meeting times. <laughs> which... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so you're taking the two. I felt that the two pain. most. Yeah, I think you know. Anytime that I talk about this to to people, you know, whether it's Slack or whether it's meetings or a bunch of emails coming in that say urgent on them, everyone gets it because we've all been there and we've felt that pain, and it's it's real. Like it, the data supports it as well. So being able the top teams that that we see in the top sort of efficient developers have cleared their schedules during their peak times. And it's a tool that we have in our software as well. We'll analyze when your particular peak times are and then be able to map those out for your future calendar events, that sort of stuff. And also be able to mute Slack notifications and, and those sorts of things, just so you have that time available. I think that's the number one thing is having the time available and blocking out distractions, which, as as we know, conversely, having a lot of meetings during those peak times can just tank efficiency. And a second one is actually, you know, a lot of people talk about multitasking and being able to do multiple things at once and kind of split your attention and switch back and forth. There is a big mental cost to doing that. And we can actually see that happening. So, you know, as I was describing earlier, that kind of hill that you see of someone getting ramping up their productivity. And then as they complete their task, or then they get tired, or they're moving on to something else, it ramps back down. The, the same thing happens whenever they switch to a different app they're working on to a different task that they're doing. There's that initial ramp up period. So single tasking is actually something that I think is is a really way to have productivity. And whether that's for the day, you're working on just this one thing, and or it's the week, and then you push other things outside of that time, but you just set aside time for deep work that you can get up that productivity ramp, stay there as long as it takes to get the task completed, 
and then be done with it instead of switching back and forth. And in, you know, I've been part of hypergrowth startups. I was VP of engineering at fair.com, which we, I grew from zero or myself as the fifth employee to a hundred engineers in two years. And with that sort of environment, there's a lot of distraction because you like, there's just so much going on all at one time that, you know, you really do feel that, that switching cost every time that you're on to the next problem and, and, and switching back and forth. So the, the main thing that, that I took away from that experience and the data that I've got access to now is that single tasking really is a way to get a more productive day and a more productive week. Right. And are there any, are there any things that you see teams doing that maybe they should try to avoid? Are there key indicators maybe that indicate less productivity or that you see interrupting this, this flow state that you're talking about? Yeah. And the, so there's definitely a correlation between in the Slack data that we have in at here or an at channel message hitting public channels and a noticeable sort of hit to the instant sort of productivity measure of that team because you're, you're pulling everyone's attention all at one time. And the same thing is true of meetings, although I forget the exact number. I think it's about 35% of the developers that we measure code straight through meetings that they're invited to. <laughs> We've all been Beauty of working from home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's funny. We had this conversation today, actually. So there was a meeting that was scheduled for us at 2 p.m. And, you know, me and my team, it, I have a question about this afterward, too, related to pairing, because we we remote pair all day. But yeah, it came up, hey, there's a meeting at 2 p.m. And we actually had just a brief, well, should we go? Because we've got momentum right now. And then it was like, no, let us know what happened. Mm-hmm. And we didn't. Yeah. And it, and it's a real thing, right? Because we didn't want to break, lose the momentum we had and then try and come back and get it later. It's it's very true. And even like the word that you just used there, momentum, I think there very much is a physics to all of this. Like you've got your your velocity, you kind of have this acceleration that you have to go through to build that momentum in order to keep a high velocity rate of, I mean, the way that you look at it in the raw data is the rate of change that you're making on the code base. And while that sounds pretty basic and doesn't actually mean anything, that that's still the measure of how software changes over time. Mm-hmm. And you know, whether it's a two-line change that fixes revenue or it's you know 2,000 lines or 20,000 lines that has to do it, it's still a measurable change to the code base that goes out to production that makes the thing move along. And, and, you know, having that momentum in place and not pulling out of it is, and that's the most efficient way to get those tasks done. Mm-hmm. It occurs to me that could be even a cultural thing where you have a culture within the company of like, hey, if you're a developer and you're, you know, you have some momentum or you're in flow or whatever, uh, you know, making it kind of acceptable to skip meetings if they're not necessary would be, would be something that would be very useful uh, you know, I'd imagine obviously uh, having the only the needed people in the meeting in the first place would be even better. Mm-hmm. But if you have a lot of kind of like all hands meetings and those kind of things, like having the expectation that, you know, hey, developers, if you're in the middle of something, you don't have to attend. Seems like it could be useful. Um, 
yeah. in the context of Slack, you mentioned, you know, the interruptions and those kind of things. I know something we, we chatted briefly about before was async communication. Do you find that teams that use like email and kind of more asynchronous methods of communication perform better than teams that like have a lot of Slack interruptions or like those kind of real time, uh, you know, communications and, and things like that? Yeah, actually having, so I, I've talked about this a few times with, with some people that I mentor because they're growing their teams and they're figuring out how to allocate their time as they have more and more direct reports and more and more stuff is going on that they have to, to be sort of in charge of. And the lesson that I tell them at that point is like, you need to have as best you can an empty calendar and a full library where the first reaction that you have whenever you're like, I have an idea and I need to talk to someone about it or we need to do this thing. It should be to write it down, not to call a meeting. And the more that you do that, you're going to be able to go through your own refinement process by writing it down in a way that someone else is going to be able to understand it rather than having a, a an immediate brainstorming session that's going to pull everyone else out of what they're doing right now for your you know, to be honest, half baked thought that that just came about. And like, as a CTO, I have to be really careful about that. Because I'll get excited about something and want to tell everyone say, hey, we're going to do this next. But I know that it's, it's much better for me and for my team and for the company that I go through the internal process of really writing it down and getting the thought fully, you know, flushed out on a page, so that I can share it asynchronously. It's not going to interrupt anyone else. And it's something that we can actually refer back to because everyone's going to pull back a different memory from a meeting that you have in person or online. But what's on the page is on the page. So that has a, actually a really big advantage versus the, the message that says, you know, on Slack or a, a, a Zoom call or something like that that says, this is the most important thing right now when it's, highly likely to be untrue. If it is, definitely do that. But it's 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 very unlikely that the message that you're sending through Slack and a DM or something like that is the most important thing for that person that you're messaging at that moment. And I think having that realization, because like I have our head of data, Pam, she misses meetings with me all the time because she's just like in the zone. And I'm totally fine with that because she was doing something more important than like our bi-weekly check-in for how it's how data is affecting product is the specific one that she misses often and you know we just catch up on it by her writing down where she is and then i look at that and we know where we are so we can do it async but the meetings there if we need to talk something through and have that that real-time communication there i'm curious uh, just to go back to something that caleb said earlier you know, the culture of a company. Now, I'm curious, like how companies, you know, I don't know if you have any examples, but how companies might be using your product to sort of look at their own culture and say, how do we make, you know, here's the disruption or, or here's the thing that's, that's mm-hmm. you know, causing us to, to have productivity go down. Let's look at how we systematically fix it, right? Instead of just saying, oh yeah, you know, we could probably look at each developer or maybe each team and try to do some informal things, but how do we change the culture of the company so that we just, as a company, get better at this stuff? Yeah, and you know that's a very good point because in a lot of ways, a 
a company that has a lot of meetings or has a lot of real-time communication that that draws everyone's attention is that way because that was the way that it was at the beginning and it worked for the people that founded the company or early there there early on and that became the culture of it so really to change it at the individual developer level it's hard to go up and say Mr. VP or Mrs. CTO or whatever don't do that anymore because it's bothering me. Like that's that's a harder road to walk than showing that well showing everyone really sort of equally but definitely up at at that level that have the the power to make that change very quickly what the impact is. So one of the things that we show for our consumers and our users is that we have a a chart that shows your average meeting time per person compared to the average active code time. And so you can see like I have a, a great one from a, a couple of months ago or this one week. It was mainly meetings for me that week. And it it went straight up for a meeting time and then straight down for code time. Like the perfect inverse of each other. And it's what you would expect. But seeing it and having it there and exposed is that's the thing that actually in, is able to initiate the change of view on it. And with culture kind of being just a, a, a common set of viewpoints on things. It's being able to change those things one by one is how you start to change that culture and really observe what it does to the things that that you probably hold to be the most valuable thing, which is you know getting your product built and, and making your updates and making your customers happy, which is in software is through changes to the code. I love that you're talking about the data as well, because I, I say this a lot, I probably, uh, you know, use it too much, but I think it's undervalued, which is the concept of like feedback loops in process, right? And that's something mm -hmm. that we think about a lot in the DevOps world, is how do we look at this data and feed that back into a process that we have to make that process better on a sort of regular recurring basis. So rather than having this giant one-time change, you just look at the data and say, okay, we can improve this a little bit by changing this and you do that for a week and then you look at the data the next week and go, okay, that worked. Now we can look at this little thing and it, it creates a much more sustainable method of kind of changing an organization versus mm -hmm. trying to just like, you know, shoehorn some kind of whole new concept or tool or, you know, those kind of things in all at once. Are there, are there any sort of incremental changes you see teams make? Like obviously less meetings is something that could be done less interruptions, but what are some of the sort of practical changes that you see that teams make that really help them the most? Like let's let's take the 80-20 rule of like, yeah. you know, productivity. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that we help teams do is even if you you don't think that you can cancel any of your meetings, like they're all necessary, just moving them to be contiguous at one time so that you have bigger gaps of open schedule for people to have their work time that isn't in a meeting. That's something that you can do pretty quickly just by rescheduling those things so that, you know, maybe it's from from 8.30 to 10.30. That's when your, your meeting block is to get ready for the day and know what, make sure everyone's on the same page and you go forward. And then maybe something at, you know, 5.30 just to, at the tail end of the day to, to wrap up but you leave the rest of it uninterrupted. You can still have the same amount of meetings, I mean, the same time of meetings, just 
getting them to be sort of defragged is if you think about a hard drive and <laughs> and do that it's going to make it a more efficient day so that's that's one of the small things that you can do another thing from our global data set that we found is that wednesday is the most productive day of the week as well so if you could just leave wednesday alone and move it move your meetings to other days then that could have a really positive effect really quickly as well. I think it's interesting too, just in the sense that, and I've read a bunch of productivity books and they tell you to decide what the important things are to get done that week and then to block the time, right? Mm-hmm. And usually they tell you to block like three hours, right? It's it's not just, oh, you know, the big things you got to get done this week or the half hour things are usually the three hour things, right? So they tell you to yeah. block the time. The other thing that's interesting is, yeah, the batching, right? They tell you to batch up similar things. And so if it's meetings, yeah, why not? And then finally, the last thing, you know, where it's like, hey, keep it off of Wednesday. I would put forward that if you can clear a day or two and just say, hey, look, these two days of the week, and I don't care what they are. I mean, Monday and Friday are kind of lost for me, right? Because Monday I'm ramping mm-hmm. back up and Friday I'm looking at what I'm doing that weekend. And, you know, no matter how good I am, it's just reality, right? So preferably in the middle of the week. But if you can clear off Wednesday, you may be able to clear off Thursday too, right? Mm-hmm. And just do all your meetings on Fridays, which are semi-lost or Mondays, which are kind of setting the tone for the week. And and just give me that flow for, you know, a couple of days in the middle of the week. I'm really digging what you're putting down here. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, and, and as you were saying, Caleb, about, you know, being able to have that data available and making those small changes and seeing the mm-hmm. effects, having a platform like that available, it, it lets you do experiments on your development flow, which is, is something that's really hard to get visibility into without a tool like that. And it allows you to make those iterative changes just like you would do for you know a funnel for your app, for your customer acquisition. You can treat it in a very similar way there where you're just you're you have an end goal of the things that you think are important. And then you try something to encourage that outcome and see what it does. And then you can make another experiment and another and another. And you know a lot of really small changes over time can lead to massive results. There's all sorts of popular books that that talk about those sorts of things and you know really make those those big changes over time. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. That makes that makes total sense. Love it. So I another thing we we had mentioned, I think, briefly was you know session time. So this is kind of related to having like whole days blocked off. But let's say maybe you can't block off a whole day to be meeting free. Mm-hmm. When we talked before, I think you mentioned uh, you know, there were sort of exponential gains after like 30 minutes or so having kind of a single session of flow, if you, you know, if you had to work with an organization that maybe couldn't, you know, have meeting free Wednesdays or meeting free Wednesday, Thursdays or something like that, what would you say would be the ideal time to try to like block off for developers? Like, okay, here's a time in your day where there are no meetings and you can just use this time only for, you know, doing what you do best. Yeah. So, I mean, to start off with our global data says that from nine to 11 and from three to five, 
are the two blocks in the day that you should really have clear. And so kind of start from there. And then if you wanted to look at your specific team's data, if that you know shifts in any way, you can you can get a baseline for that and then make that that change according to to your specific team. Like if you have a team that works later in the evenings, then maybe the the five to seven is the right time range for for that sort of thing. And then, you know, as a team or depending on the individual, if their times are different than the teams, just make sure that you have those pre-blocked off and set those aside. So those are those are the kinds of small things that you can do to get those those session times. Because you know that exponential gain after your ramp up period is is a real thing that happens in the data that we see. So your your overall velocity, sort of as we calculate it, starts you know it starts really low when you first start your your code time session. It goes up to sort of whatever your particular stable level is for whatever you're working on and and the day or how you're feeling that day. And then it typically stays there and kind of wavers a little bit. But once it's up, it can stay as long as you're not interrupted and you don't have to go and, and drop it and do something else. Versus, you know, two 30-minute ramp-up periods does not equal the same as a 45-minute period where you've ramped up and you've got 15 solid minutes at your high-velocity level. So that's where the real productivity gains happen by getting those uninterrupted blocks of time, getting up that ramp and then staying there. And the tools that we've got in place for that are like what we call flow mode, which you can access from the editors of VS Code IntelliJ, those sorts of things, where it will block out notifications from Slack. It'll add time to your calendar so that people know that you're, you're in a session right now and then you know after two hours or whatever you set it to it'll it'll bring you out of it so that you can get those notifications back and kind of come back into the the real world with everyone else you know, what, so i'm curious about is uh you know we've talked about more of i guess what i'd call like corporate distractions right distractions from mm-hmm. slack or email or well what about the personal distractions and, and uh, what have you observed about that like in comparison so yeah. for instance a developer with you know, you got your cell phone, or, you know, your, your smartphone next to you and you're getting texts or the person is just, or you're just sort of picking up social media and just, you know, getting sucked into that for an hour and then you don't even realize it and, you know, something else is going on. So I, I'm curious, like, cause I, I feel like that in, in a lot of ways for some people might be the bigger problem as opposed to, you know, the corporate distractions. Yeah. So we don't have any data that, that about our users web browsing or or anything like that. But, you know, when you look at significant events around the world, like perhaps the last U.S. election for president, <laughs> that was a very distracting period. Actually, we saw a pretty significant drop in productivity during that election week across actually the world, more significantly in the U.S. and then most significantly in battleground states that were on the news all the time. So. Georgia wow. and Pennsylvania. So they were more affected than other states because they were like the center of the storm for that whole time. And it was incredibly distracting. You know, I think that there's there's two sides of that. One is knowing that those distractions exist. And and on on one side, it's, you know, 
kind of realizing that that's there and that just is the way life is. And we're humans on the other side of this and we get distracted by stuff going on in the world and kind of having that as just a known factor of work. And then, you know, on the other hand, there's certain things that you can control, like having your, your cell phone on silent or locking the door to the office and not leaving the dog in as I did. Those sorts of things <laughs> that that you can you can start to tweak around your own environment. Once you're armed with that knowledge of the one hour session being so much more powerful than two 30 minutes, like that's where you can really start to to take action on it and optimize those little things around your life to do it. Like one of the things for my own life, like I, my son is eight and right now he's on online school. So he's homeschooled. We, we use a co-working space in our house and from eight thirty or eight o'clock to 10 30, I walk him through his lessons and, and I teach. And I used to, when we first started, I tried to like be on email and Slack and, and answering questions and all this stuff. But I found myself being frustrated with not being able to focus on work and then frustrated with not being able to help him. And then he was frustrated. So I actually kind of took my own advice and like, okay, I need to single task this thing. And said, okay, I am just teaching my son from 8 to 10.30. And then once I'm done with that, he'll, he got through more lessons and we were happier at the end of that process because it's not an easy process. And then I got to go focus on work and catch up where everything is and then just single task on that. And that made a huge difference, both in my sort of productivity in life and work, as well as my happiness about that process. So I think that, you know, the being in a flow state, being in a productive state in something that you enjoy doing brings about a lot of personal satisfaction and happiness that can be a, a positive flywheel that you can start have going in this entire process as well, which gets you out of a lot of the the negative cascading of burnout and trying to do too many things at once and taking it all on and then not finishing. So you work late into the night and then you don't have sleep and then it just goes further and further. Interesting. It's uh, along kind of that same line of thinking. Uh, it occurs to me that you might be able to answer one of the, you know, sort of debates that's been very sort of widely discussed uh, after COVID, which is the work from home versus in-office debate, which one's more mm -hmm. productive, those kind of things. Do you have any data on kind of like either pre-post COVID productivity or work from home versus in-office, you know, productivity specifically? Yeah. So we actually did I'm only listening dive. if you give the answer I want. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a good answer. We did a deep dive into our data last fall. So this is when everyone was at home after COVID lockdowns. And, you know, some people were still in the office because not the whole world behaved the same way. And we were able to pull out a decent sized cohort of people that worked at the office and then switched to working remote. And what we found was that if you look at just the, the total group in the office and then remote, you know, what we considered productivity or like the overall sort of output actually dropped by 12%. But it, we, you know, I didn't like that answer as a CTO of a remote company. So we looked a little bit further. And if you divide those cohorts into 
high productivity developers and low productivity, which is just at the median above and below is how we split that. The high productivity ones actually went up 26%. And the low ones just like dove off a cliff in terms of productivity once they went home, which means, you know, most of your code, most of the changes to the code base come from that top 50%. And so you've got an increase from the people that do the most already. And so actually, that's great. If you're a good developer, and you know what you're doing, and you've got a plan, working remote gives you a net increase. And it actually, we saw a an increase of efficiency as well between time spent to code output and keystrokes to character output, which are like very minute details that don't nearly mean that much. But it's it's interesting to see that they're actually more efficient whenever they're remote. And then on the low performer side, there's an opportunity there to understand what's going on with those particular people because they're probably juniors, they're probably newer to the industry, and they need more support that the office was giving them to get them back up to that that office level. So whenever you go remote, you can't just go blindly and say, okay, now do the same things that you did at the office just at your house. There has to be additional support structures that you kind of replace the office with for those newer members to your team and be able to either do more pair programming or you know just give them more support, more communication to make sure that they know what they're doing and check in and, and those sorts of things so that they don't just get lost whenever they're separated from everyone. And so, you know, as a net, if you look at everything, it's a bit mixed, but you know, your best performers are going to work even better remotely. And then you need to give support for those people that were already on the lower end. Interesting. So it That's sounds like being more intentional about mentorship, uh, pairing, you know, sort of building up maybe more junior members of the team and things like that is really key in a remote setting. Yeah. Cause like the office setting gets you that as just a byproduct of being there. You can look over someone's shoulder, you can, you know, just ask for advice really quickly. It's a much so I think sort of cognitively, it's a much lower cost for that person that needs the help to ask someone who's sitting right next to them, rather than posting an, out an email or a Slack message or something like that, and, and feeling like they're interrupting someone in order to, to get some information. And yeah, so I think, you know, being able to address that and, and know that that's a dynamic that happens when you're remote is just a, it's something for, you know, the manager, the, the team to realize and be able to to address. It's interesting because anecdotally, I had a conversation about this with my boss and he said that our productivity had doubled when we went home. And, you know, I don't know how they measure that or if it was just more of a sense that he got looking at the number of things we were getting done or whatever, but I thought it was mm-hmm. interesting. One thing that, and I'm going to pivot this conversation just a little bit is, so we mob program or pair program pretty much everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm a little curious there, right? There are definite trade-offs, right, with regards to code quality and things like that. But, you know, just in the lens of productivity, how does pairing and mobbing affect productivity? Yeah, I'm good. honestly, I don't know from our data how exactly that affects it. I can say that based on what we do see, if you've got 
one of the great things about pair programming is like all all the communication and the what would have possibly been an interruption of that person reaching out to you when you're coding by yourself becomes a collaborative part of the coding process. So you kind of reduce the amount of external noise by bringing it into the process. So it actually gives you the ability to have those longer sessions more readily than if everyone was was off on their own. There's you know more connection points, more communication pathways that way. So reducing the communication pathways and keeping it really tight does allow for the other things that we do see to to affect productivity happen. But as far as seeing that you know two developers were coding on the same thing or one was coding, the other was on a Zoom call with them, we don't have that represented in the data. So I can't say for sure what the what the data represents for that. But the behavior does match a lot of what does make a more productive session for an individual. Interesting. I guess the last thing that I had as far as questions was, uh, you know, obviously software.com does productivity software to help developers be more productive. How does that actually work on a practical level? I know you mentioned, you know, plugins for editors and things like that, but what does that look like? Somebody wanted to look into that for their team or something, you know, what would that look like for them? Yeah. So it's pretty simple to sign up. I hope <laughs> I've made it that way. So you for the time tracking, you install the editor extension. You can get it from the VS Code Marketplace, IntelliJ, Atom, Sublime, Eclipse, if anyone uses Eclipse anymore. People do. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that until I started here. <laughs> and so that will start tracking. And I'll give you some details. It'll start tracking what we call the code time and active code time. It'll get the telemetry of edits to files, keystrokes, pasted characters, and kind of dissect what's going on in the editor. We don't look at any code, and we actually do one-way hashing on file names, project names, anything that would be sensitive so that we don't see it. And then we encrypt that original value in a, in a separate store so we can put it back in the UI. But take that, that security pretty seriously. So you install that, it just kind of starts working in the background. And then you can connect your GitHub to it, and it will pull, you know, PR stats and lead time, cycle time, those sorts of values, launching a new thing for that pretty soon here that'll get you basically a, a similar thing to the Dora metrics that are around the like the four key metrics from that accelerate book that you basically get it in about five minutes, sign up, pull stuff, spits it back out to you in about five minutes for free. And you can connect your calendars to it. You can connect Slack to it coming soon and start to see on the calendar side where all your meetings are, where your code time sessions are and start to proactively protect those future sessions. Because we'll basically look back at your historical coding sessions, see when you're most productive and then offer that to you as a suggestion for, for map blocking those out in the future. And then... For Slack, you'll be able to see, you know, what's the most distracting channels, when is, what's kind of the effect of all of the stuff coming in, and, and all sorts of interesting things about the, the combination of, of those inputs. Awesome. I think that's, that's all I had. Jeffrey or Chuck, you guys have anything else? You, any other questions or any other input? Nothing for me. I, I, I think this uh, is fascinating. I think it sounds like a really cool tool to sort of get some insights. but. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, there's the team aspect and there's the 
personal you know aspect of it and I, and I think it's a really interesting way to to sort of drill down into the uh the details there so really cool mm -hmm. cool yeah we also yeah. have an extension called music time that you can connect your spotify and it'll show you based on correlation what's your most productive songs and genres <laughs> and those sorts of things you can control spotify from your editor so you don't have to context switch as well nice uh, yeah. <laughs> i like that yeah i don't have anything either i just you know, this is this is one area that I feel like people either hyper focus on or completely ignore. And mm -hmm. if we can kind of call out something that people can do as kind of an easy win, like blocking out time or rescheduling meetings or things like that, right? You go to your manager and you say, Hey, look, I listened to this podcast and they said, you know, if you clear this time and this time will be more efficient, it's at least something you can try out, right? And then you can take an agile development approach. You know, you build this into your process, you try it out for three, four weeks. And then if you feel like it's making a difference and you keep it, and if not, then you try something new. And so, yeah, yeah it's it's kind of an exciting way of seeing, yeah, what the output can can do and how it can change. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. It's like the quickest steps I would suggest are nine to 11, three to five, as much as you can make those clear. If you can get Wednesday, get Wednesday and mm -hmm. install the extension use flow mode for when you're in the zone and block out distractions so that you don't get pulled out of it. Yep, absolutely. So before we do picks, I'm wondering how, if people want to check out you or software.com, where, where do they find you? Yeah, so, well, software.com is an easy one to remember. I typically post on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn and I'm Mason McLeod. You can find me there. All right. Hey folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Uh, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Now, I don't know if you got warned about picks, but uh, picks are just shout outs about stuff that we're enjoying. Um, it could be life stuff. It could be entertainment stuff. It could be code stuff. It could be, you know, whatever, right? And so, yeah, we'll, we'll have our uh, panel go first and that way you can kind of see how we do it. And then you can okay. shout out stuff on your own. So Caleb, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so I have kind of an unconventional one uh, this week. I, I saw on a forum somewhere, something like that, some guy uh, built an algorithmic music generator for a genre of music I didn't really know existed called acid music. So uh, it's named the Endless Acid Banger, and it's like just kind of a chill, uh, you know, sort of flow music that's kind of electronic, al algorithmically generated. For me, I've been using that for concentration, just turning the, the default beats per minute is quite high. So it's pretty energetic, like kind of like rave or trance type music. I turn it down to a slower beat per minute, maybe like 25% of the, um, on the indicator there. 
and that's been uh, that's been really uh, great for me for my productivity. So, hearing you mention the uh, the music part of the uh, you know sort of correlation with productivity was interesting as well, Mason. That came to mind as something uh, I've been enjoying this week. Cool, very cool, Jeffrey. What are your picks? Yeah, so I've been um, reading a, a book. A lot of my picks are always books, but um, I've been reading a book uh, last week called Checklist Manifesto. Really interesting. I don't know if you guys have seen this before, right? It's been Great out for like 10 years or something, right? Yeah. Um, what I find really interesting about it is this concept, and I saw it in, uh, read about it in Team of Teams as well. But this idea of sort of breaking out problem solving between things that are simple, complicated, and complex. So anything that's like simple, a simple problem to solve, we can sort of imagine what that is. Something that's complicated, it means that. It's basically a whole bunch of simple problems that are sort of built upon each other. So how a, you know, internal combustion engine, you know, works, that is a complicated system, but you can break it down into component parts and understand it. A complex system is where there's a lot more variance and becomes very difficult to predict. So weather is really complex, right? There's just so many different variables that can come in and, you know, determine whether you're actually going to get snow, rain, sleet, or whatever. So the premise of this of the book, though, is that you can take these simple and complicated problems, create checklists around them, because what typically happens is that when you have something that's complicated, and we're all doing complicated things you know, in our daily lives, whether it's work-related or, or you know, personal lives, but and you know, when there's enough steps involved in it, the likelihood is that you're going to miss a step, even though you do this every day. And he's uh, he's a physician, right? He's a surgeon who uh, who's the author, and he talks about like all these different examples in a clinical environment where, you know, your chances of walking into a hospital and coming out of it with some added infection is pretty high. It's kind of scary, right? Um, and a lot of it is because there's so many steps and all the things that happen to a patient as they walk in the door of a hospital that you miss one step and it's very, you know, the, the likelihood of you getting an infection by, you know, some procedure that you're having done goes up quite a bit. And so they found that by implementing checklists, you get people to like make sure that all those, you know, it seems really simple, but how often are we, you know, maybe too arrogant or whatever, just feel like, hey, we know what we're doing, we're experts, right? I'm an expert in this area, I'm an SME, I'm a whatever it is. But it's it's just that discipline of creating checklists. And you know, for me, um, in the cybersecurity space, we just see this all the time where there's just so many places where things just get missed because either it's really complicated or it's just complex. And anytime you can break things down into more, you know, just something that you can use a checklist around and therefore allow you to focus and do something more special and specialized around complex areas, you're really, you know, you're sort of allowing people to to focus on what's important uh, while keeping um, the other really important stuff happening consistently and, you know, and safely. So I think it's a great read. I recommend it to anyone and like read it in a way of like, how can I implement this? Because we all need to be doing, you know, it's like whatever we're doing and, and you know, the important work that we do, there's a lot of good, good stuff in it. Yeah, I've, I've read the book too. And it's, it's really interesting. I had an interesting experience and I'm going to lead this into my pick uh, off of yours is that one of the things that I found is that by having the checklist, you can improve the process because now you have it explicitly written out. Right. And so this morning I was on a call with somebody I just met this weekend 
but he's helping me set up the processes so that they're more robust for scheduling and managing the podcast, right? And so a lot more stuff can be automatic, a lot more stuff can happen the way that it ought to. Not that anything's really fallen through the cracks, but there are things that I've been wanting to put back into the process that haven't been there for a while. And, you know, it just wasn't well documented before. And he's helping me out with that. We're doing it in monday.com. I'm not sure if you used Monday, but it's kind of, how do I put it? It's it's kind of like a task list, except it's a task list on steroids. It's got automations and all kinds of stuff. And so what Jira I'm looking like, at... Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Jira no, like. you're fine. The good you threw me off of with Jira because I hate Jira to death. <laughs> yeah, it's like the good um, parts of Jira, but uh, just light enough that you know it has what you need yeah. and nothing more. Not None of the right. stuff that you don't want. Yeah, but it's flexible enough too to where you can kind of adapt it to whatever you need. And I know you can do that with Jira. I mean, you might want to cut off your left arm before you're done. But with Monday.com, it's it's pretty approachable. And I've really been liking it. But yeah, so this this kid, he's actually 17. But he's he's getting in and he's done this for a number of people I know. And, you know, so he's he's helping me get this process together and running. And, you know, he's like, okay, what about this? What about this? What about this? Right. And as he's going, okay, so how does what what's the next step? I'm going, well, I'd like it to be this, right? Or I'd like to do this a little different from what we're doing now. And it was interesting because it's like, oh, yeah, we'll just automate that. Or, oh, well, we'll have it, you know, integrate with this system to do this. And by pulling that stuff together, it's been really helpful to, yeah, just kind of tie stuff together and make it work. And so I've been really, really happy with the way that that's all coming together. It's probably going to be later in the week before it's done. But yeah, monday.com is one pick just because I'm starting to see the power of it. The other funny thing about Monday, I'll throw this one out too, is so this weekend I was at this uh, retreat, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. It was kind of a small conference more than a retreat. But there are guys that I talk to every week. I'm, you know, we're, we're kind of intimately involved in each other's lives. But they're the guys that tell me when I'm screwing up and the guys that lift me up when I, you know, when I'm down. And so we got together in Nashville and that's where I met this kid because uh, he's in one of the other groups as part of this organization. But they were talking about just relationships and, you know, making relationships matter, which incidentally, the, the week that we're recording this, I put out a bonus episode talking about how to build relationships. But I wanted to pull together a CRM, right, to put all my contacts in and say, OK, these are the people and I need to be checking in on a regular basis. Uh, these are the pe- people that, uh, you know, I need to be checking in on, you know, weekly or monthly or, you know, whatever, just, you know, uh, prompt me to follow up and all that stuff. And I was looking at CRMs I was, and I couldn't find anything that I really liked. I've, I've been struggling with this for a long time. And I figured out that Monday actually has a template for a CRM. And so I pulled that over and I'm going to, I've been modifying that and I'm really liking some of the things that it gives for automations. The other pick that I have is related to Monday. And that is, is that Monday integrates with Zapier. So anything that Monday doesn't integrate with Zapier integrates with. And so between the two, I am pretty darn happy with the way that this is all going to kind of line up. So, and you know, if people schedule something with schedule once, which is the scheduling system we use, you know, I can use Zapier to pull it in. And so, you know, anyway, it's, it's been really, really great way to, uh, 
to kind of set things up so that I'm doing the right things on a regular basis. And so that a lot of this stuff just winds up being automatic. And, and that's another productivity hack that I found is that if I have a place where I can just go and know the next right thing to do, then I don't spend a lot of time spinning my wheels trying to figure out what that is. And so Monday's doing that. And then, you know, just the various ways that I'm giving it to just remind me to do the stuff is is also a powerful part of that. So so those are my picks. And then I just want to remind people, go check out the Dev Influencers podcast. It's new. We're talking about uh, how to build a following and then how to turn that into a side business or a full-time business. I'm just looking for people who want to make a difference in tech and enjoy doing it so much that they want to go full-time doing it and then enable them to do that. So that's what we're working on there. Devinfluencers.com slash podcast will take you to the right place there. And those are my picks. Mason, what are yours? Yeah, so I'll do a book as well. One that I had read part of recently. And I think it's, it's funny that that book is about that sort of thing. It's called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, which as someone who's built lots of things on the internet, I was reticent to read it. But it, I mean, it, the book starts with talking about brain elasticity and how as you do an activity you know over and over again your brain actually changes shape to do that really well by in in as a byproduct it actually stops doing other things as well that aren't as practiced so it goes through you know, like tool usage in humankind and how that's affected how we think and how our brains are actually shaped over time and then coming into the internet and social media and Twitter feeds and Facebook and those sorts of things where everything, all of that content is bite-sized and it is it basically all is an interruption to itself in order to get your attention and to keep your attention for as long as possible to give you more ads because that's the business model. So the, the platform's just doing what it does as a business. And, and so it was really interesting that like the author and some of the people that he knew that were like researchers after they had spent more and more time on the internet and on social media found it harder to read a paper, like a, a, a research paper from beginning to end because they were so used to content being delivered in a different way that their brains were wired to go, okay, I get a paragraph and then I switch and then I switch again, and then I switch again, when you really need to read you know, all 25 pages or whatever it is. And I think the the main point of that book is kind of bringing it around to our ability, especially for engineers and software engineers who all of our best work product gets done when we have an extended period of focus. But the things that you know are created on the internet are actually working against that kind of work. So I found that to be a pretty interesting thing. And it's, you know, it, books like that, and then Atomic Habits and a bunch of others that are kind of in that realm, right, are some of the sort of inspiration for how we build out features and software and, and what we highlight and, and are able to, to focus on like the flow mode thing and, and stuff like that, about eliminating distractions so that you can get that time. So I thought that was a that was a good one. It's probably a good one for people that work on the internet and build parts of the internet to read because this is what we we made. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. That sounds really interesting. All right. Well, we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you for coming, Mason. This was really, really interesting. Yeah. 
Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I guess that's it. Uh, until next time, folks, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.